0: This is this is the in the black podcast
1: In you know the black bro <laughs> one of the best
2: Yes welcome 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 what's up what's up what is up back once again it is the incredible in the black podcast and in case you weren't aware this is a podcast dedicated to covering the current events and social issues going on in your black world and covering it all from the perspective of three grown ass men who are always looking to get into a little bit of good trouble i am your host big (laughs) o mr in the black himself but you know i can never do this alone i want to for before we do that this is a special edition of the black light segment of course you guys know the black light is our opportunity to dive into the people and conversations that deserve the deep dive but before we get into all of that let me introduce the rest of my co hosts man crush what's up
0: what's good everybody
2: no doubt no doubt (laughs) l hey l is feeling (laughs) (laughs) flossy tonight i know full announcements i know (laughs) l feeling (laughs) extra (laughs) flossy tonight l what's up man tattoo somewhere yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, I'm I'm chilling, man.
2: You yeah. got it. You got a tattoo. That's why you got that big ass. You got a tattoo, didn't you? I'm you chilling, did, didn't man, you? Just...
3: No, I didn't. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I need a new tattoo, but I haven't. I haven't. No, I haven't. I gotta, you gotta haven't get gone more gone guns. Yeah, more guns first, man. More guns before a tattoo, bro. <laughs> My God, don't even get me started, man. Don't even get me started. Are there any guns left? <laughs> not many.
2: <laughs> ain't ain't a whole lot got got of
3: ammo out there. there. I tell yeah, you, man, no bullshit. Nah. No bullshit.
2: Now. L, please help well before we do that also if you're checking this out on youtube make sure you hit that thumbs up button it goes a long way make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss out on the next video and of course follow us across social media at in the black PDCST. facebook twitter instagram your mama's house all of that stuff you'll find us uh but as well Before we jump into it, L, please tell these good folks how they can become part of the family if they want to become part of the family, man.
3: Hey, man, we want you to become a part of the family. That's first up. Uh, We like about five of y'all, so y'all can come on through. uh, (laughs) Ride on over and check out the the com website. And end up in the corner, you can see Become Family. Click that tab. There you can give us money so we can build a bigger platform of course cash app venmo ebt cbt uh qvstnt espn whatever you try to do but also you can buy our swag man you can buy our t-shirts you can buy our hoodies you can buy we got new toilet paper that we just coming out with uh you can use it's real soft and ain't that scott's that you typically be wiping your ass with anything just come on through, man. Become a member of the family over here at uh in the Black Podcast.
2: No doubt. We even got the silk bonnets coming out real Got
3: soon, even the sock, silk bonnets, man.
2: <laughs> silk <laughs> bonnets? Not silk satin. Bondage. No, Not, no, no, satin. No, satin is a little bit more expensive. No. <laughs> our our guest tonight, <laughs> Woo! Uh, I'm really Damn. excited to have have him on, Mr... He doesn't want me to call him Professor Rodriguez, but I'm gonna do it. (laughs) Professor Dylan Rodriguez, author of White Reconstruction, Domestic Warfare, and the Logics of Genocide. Uh, This is gonna be very interesting, man. It's gonna be an extremely interesting conversation. So, Professor Rodriguez, <laughs> what's going on? It's the last time I'm okay. going to call you.
3: Tell, him, tell, him, Dylan.
2: tell <laughs> Call him, me by man. my name. I appreciate, like,
4: I, I appreciate the gesture. Call me, You can call tell me by him. my name right there. <laughs> I got you. I got you. I got you. So
2: we are very familiar with you, Dylan. But for our listeners, for our viewers, please tell us a little bit about yourself.
3: Man. Hold on, Dylan. Before you do that, man, I want to honor you by reading your bio because in your bio shows your hard work and dedication and i like giving people they fucking flowers while they're still on this side of the date. No doubt. Uh Dylan Rodriguez is an abolitionist teacher, scholar, and activist. He was named to the inaugural class of Freedom Scholars in 2020 and is president of the American Studies Association uh, 2020-21. to He has worked as professor at University of California Riverside since 2001 and recently served as a facility elected chair of the UCR Division of Academic Senate and chair of ethnic studies. Dylan's thinking, writing, teaching, scholarly activism, activist labors addressed in complexity and normalized proliferation of historical regimens and logics of the anti-blackness and racial colonial violence in everyday state, cultural, social formations. He conceptualized abolition and other forms of movement as part of the historical collective genius of rebellion, survival, abolition, and radical futurality. He is the author of three books, most recently, White Reconstruction, Domestic Warfare, and the Logic of Racial Genocide, Critical Ethnic Studies, a reader, which is dope as shit, by the way. Uh, and he'll go and give all the places that he can find himself, man. Yeah, no bullshit. But the, the, I just want to say that I first came across Dylan, man, uh, listening to Beyond Prisons podcast. Yes. Man, they had him on there, and literally, I was blown the fuck away by not just the the intellect but the passion and just it it was given in such a practical manner i mean one of the stats that he gave i think i heard it there was he was talking about uh, campus police officers and he's going to touch a little bit about cops off campus here in this conversation but he was talking about here in pennsylvania The largest police force in Pennsylvania is Temple University's police force. A college campus. Uh A college. So dylan go ahead man i, I just I'm, I'm excited to jump in man please
4: I, i'm gonna sign off now because everything's done you, bro. Can,
2: you, <laughs> don't, you don't, don't do that, that. No, no, it's bro. swollen but enough as beginning. it is you can never get this dude to shut up go ahead dylan you made me go this so good. Really. It's,
4: it's 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 hey it's all uphill from here you made me feel so <laughs> good. i'm ready to leave <laughs> <laughs> no, come on with me come with it man come with it no honestly i first of all thank you for inviting me like i i, I don't take anything for granted i tell any community I'm working with, any organization or working I'm working with, any group of people, collective, you know, whatever that I that I work with or that invite me just to to be part of what they're doing, that I appreciate the invitation. I always appreciate being invited to the party. Um, I, I've watched and listened to, to to your all stuff. You know that's oh, that's shit. what this is. That's why I, that's why I enjoy listening to and watching you all. Hold that. on, hold on, hold
2: on. You you mm-hmm. watch and listen to our stuff, and you actually came and decided that's to. What, be- you know what? I, I, I feel some <laughs> sort of way tonight. Tell it. <laughs> tonight, boy. You done made a brother. happy tonight. <laughs> yeah,
4: I feel honored. I feel I feel validated. My right now. Right. <laughs> done made it. No doubt. Go ahead, man. No, no. Look, look. So I, I I appreciate the invitation to any party. This is this is one of the ones that um when I when you all invited me, I was I was so happy, and um I I, I just hope I can live up to the billing, and if not, that's okay too, because I'll try again one day.
2: No doubt no doubt. No, doubt, no doubt. no doubt. no, but no I'm doubt.
4: from the area. Hey, I don't know if you told her, but I'm from the, I'm from the DMV. Um, I grew up in Northern right. Virginia. My, 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 my parents, was, they were part of that post 1965 wave mm-hmm. of migrations to the States. My dad was recruited to work for the World Bank, so he worked for Imperialist Global Capital. I got a whole bunch of stories about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in a Filipino, uh, kind of extended Filipino community. In part, in the DMV, um, many of whom were expatriates from Marcos regime martial law. Mm-hmm. I remember being around pitos and titas that had hmm. uh, um, a price on not a price on their head, but they had they had um, literal and figurative um, Marcos regime weaponry pointed at their head. They had to they had to leave. They couldn't be there. Um, my mom was a, uh, a teacher administrator in the public school system in Fairfax County um, uh, for you know her, her entire career in um, and yeah, and like I, like I, like I say all the time, when you, when you grow up your formative years in a place like Alexandria, it turns you into this, <laughs> it turns you into what you see here. You know, I I, 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 I tell people that I tell people that don't know what Northern Virginia, what Alexandria are, that if they ever go there, it'll explain a lot about mm, not everything.
2: Say it one more time for the folks in the back, my guy.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: now, indeed. a lot of folks don't know, well, People might think that you're Latino, but you're Filipino, right? Do you think that that upbringing, that that cultural background helped to spawn your
4: revolutionist attitude? Absolutely, but not possibly not in the way you would expect, right? Because part of... So, Franz Fanon writes about this, right? Franz Fanon in Red of the Earth. He writes about how every 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 generation must, out of relative obscurity, discover its mission, fulfill it, or betray it. One of the most famous quotations from that book. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what always strikes me about what Fanon is saying there is is the way people inter- people interpret it. People often interpret it to to talk about how there's a revolutionary generation that just kind of sprouts up um, from the roots. And discovers its mission and fulfills it, right? I don't read it that way. I read it the way the way I the way I think Fanon intended it, which mm. is autobiographical, because because what I think Fanon's actually writing about is um, some version of class suicide, because hmm. um, uh, because you know don't forget right, Fr- Fr- France Fanon was was sent to a colonial site in Algeria where he was working for the French colonizer. Mm-hmm. And he flipped, right, and he became and he became a global revolutionary, and that's why the CIA poisoned him and killed him. All right. Mm -hmm. So when he's writing about that, I feel like he's speaking to to an entire generation of people um, who were, in a sense, invited, solicited Mm -hmm. uh, to to, 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 Mm -hmm. to come to the United States on the backs of the repression of Black liberation struggles, primarily, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. During the early stages of the domestic warfare that turned into the prison industrial complex and anti black mm-hmm. policing, like writ large, right rendered large. It all it always had been anti black policing. Yeah, it, yeah. didn't, it didn't emerge into the form that we see it now until this last half century or so. Um, and so, and so, what I, what I find about my own kind of autobiographical experience, my own upbringing, is that I'm part of this generation of of so called third world immigrants that was actually supposed to be assimilated.
3: Yeah. Right. Like yeah. like. like
4: Put it this way: I don't have any student debt. You know why? Because I don't know if they still do this, but but at the time, my dad worked for the World Bank. The World Bank subsidized the mm. um, the, the tuition of the children of its employees, like eighty percent or something like that. Yeah. Right. So I, it's I still, it still, they still do it. They just change the percentage See what I mean? See what I mean? So so like none of the things I think and write and do were were what I was supposed to be scripted yeah, don't. to. Do. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so so, but at the same time, it's precisely that intimacy, the intimacy with this assimilationist, multiculturalist, white supremacist, you know, colonial anti-blackness, right? All it's all the above, um, mm-hmm. in different mm-hmm. degrees of intensity. It's all that the intimacy with that is what pulls on you. Mm-hmm. And and at a certain point, you kind of have to pick a fucking side.
3: Pick a side. Yeah, yeah. All right.
4: Right, yeah, and and yeah. I know not that sounds real simplistic, but sometimes it gets that way. And sometimes it, it crystallizes. I mean, usually, it's really complex, right? And there's like more than one side. You got to figure out what the gray area is and navigate all that, right? But there's also there's also you know specific moments in your life and in history where the it's really clear, yeah, right? Like yeah, which yeah. side of the historical narrative are you, you going to be go able, in with? yeah. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean? If you if you if you're, you're, you're going to be accountable to history, and and yeah. I think I think all of us are. In some degree, sure. Right, it's a question of whether you own it or not, whether you acknowledge that or not, and so. But I think I think it's those moments when 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 history is kind of um, leaning on you to decide what side you're going to be on, right? When when it becomes crystal clear, and this this George Floyd bill thing is one of these moments in a certain kind of way. It's crystal clear what the nature of the warfare that's happening um, is inducing in terms of asymmetrical casualties. Right, yep, in terms of yep, generally yep. one-sided casualties yep. you know at that point it's like you, you you have an obligation to just make a decision and, and and you also have an obligation to build an analysis and spread that shit mm-hmm. yeah 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 right. mm-hmm. anyway I, I could go on but anyway no, like, no, that no. that's that's, that, that's my 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 like my like affinity to your all's program is in part because of of the fact that i'm i'm from the area i'm from i'm from mm-hmm. that that general area
3: yeah yeah that's what's up. so let's talk about that george floyd act while we're here because
4: Well, first of all, it's fucked up. They named
3: it after him. That's number one. And not only that, but even with the the case that is taking place against the officers who murdered him. Of course, they're calling that the George Floyd murder trial. Yeah. but the act itself, Dylan, the act itself, I see so many people cheering this act and being excited about this fucking act. And I'm reading it. I'm like, why are you so enthralled with simple reform? Knowing that we've seen reform after reform after reform after reform after reform after motherfucking reform. Have we, and well, we hold a
2: question s- for you, man? Have we actually seen reform? We haven't really seen reform. We've seen no, the- so I many know, ahead, have sir. battled against reform for a long time. So, but go ahead, Dylan.
4: Yep. What was crushed about to say?
0: No, I was just saying I I, I see repression for for that reform, yeah. but yeah.
4: Uh, So 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 here's the thing: is we, we have to be clear in what we mean by the reform. terms we use, right? Mm-hmm. Um okay. and, and this is this is This is, I think, a moment where we need to be engaged in some form of collective study all the time, collective analysis all the time, so that we understand what a reform is, And, and whether a thing that we're pushing is the kind of reform we want to support. Because the truth of the matter is the police in their current and contemporary version are a reform. They're actually the product. Of not one reform, but multiple generations of reforms. Mm, 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 I can do right? that. That's what the prison industrial right. complex is, right? Yeah, that's that's what they you know, part of the expansion of police power is fueled by generation upon generation of police reforms, right? And so and so on the other hand, if if we take what it is that that people's desires are, right? Their desire is and I'm talking about people who are targeted by the cops. I'm talking about black people. Sure, I'm talking sure, about undocumented sure. people, unhoused people, et cetera. Right? Mm-hmm. The desire is for the shit to stop.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. You know
4: what mm-hmm. I mean? It's it's like at some level, it's casualty management. Mm-hmm. Right? How, how can we how can we just limit the damage that this this particular system is creating Ooh. all the time? Right. In way in ways that um, um are actually in, you know reproducing mm-hmm. our own self destructive tendencies too. <laughs> you know. So so part of it is casualty management, and then and then the other part is is actually, I think it's it's really proto-abolitionist, if not actually abolitionist, meaning that what people want is for the violence, the state-inflicted asymmetrical warfare to fucking stop. Yeah. They want to abolish that violence, right? Yeah. And so and so the problem is in part an analytical and a and a and a cultural one, right? It's also a political one, which is that um, part of the genius of what the emergence over the last half century of think tanks, liberal mm-hmm. foundations, philanthropic foundations, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, you know, certain certain entire streams of research in um, in universities and academia writ large, um, uh, the, the the work that elected officials have done, all that stuff has created this this uh, else, elsewhere a lot you know me and a lot, a lot of other people call it now the nonprofit industrial complex, right? We're
3: going to talk about that, don't right? worry. Right,
4: so that so that whole complex. Works to kind of shape and engage in another kind of repression, and that is the repression of political imagination. So now, now the the political imagination is such Mm. that the horizon of possibility is reform, right? And and, you know, when we Mm. think about horizon, right? A Horizon is a fucking. It's in a way, in a way, it's it's um, it's it's sort of an abstraction. You know what I mean? Like you look at a horizon, attainable. Yeah, it's something you you imagine. I mean, think about the fact that the horizon of political action now, the horizon of political movement, many many mass grassroots movements Uh-oh. at the local level, at a global level,
2: mm-hmm.
4: at the limit of the, the the horizon of the imagination is some form of militant reform. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. What is that, right? What is that? So we have to think really um, carefully, first of all, about first of all about where that came from, mm-hmm. right? And then second of all, about how toxifying that is, because. This is this is what happens now. This is what this is what you know what we're talking about. With the George Floyd bill is is there's a kind of um, celebration of it as a possibility for what is actually just piecemeal state reform. Yeah, yeah. right. And, no, and that, that's for a second. It's not going to fucking pass.
2: Yeah, change around yeah. the margins yeah. all the time.
4: Th- there's no way that things that thing's going to pass. But yeah. but then third, even even if you um, even if you were to to celebrate it passing somehow, right? Um, all you have to do is look at the recent historical archive of police reforms at the local and regional level, and you'll see that that all of these reforms have zero. There's zero evidence. There's zero evidence that these kinds of police reform, oh, in please. any way, in any way, reduced anti-black, racist, gendered, anti-trans, Islamophobic police violence. None. None. And so, so we just we just need the language. We need the analysis. And we need to push the imagination of the people that we're with all the time so that we're not funneled into the bullshit because that's what, that's what it is. And, and how dare they call it the George Floyd bill.
2: Okay. Question for you. I mean, you said that you don't believe that the bill will pass even with that $750 million that they're going to be pushing towards all of these local and state uh, police departments. You don't think that it's going to pass. You're not, you don't think that enough middle of the road Democrats and Republicans are going to jump on top of this, even if it irks their guts to be able to do something in any type of police reform. Here's the thing is, is that
4: is that that entire centrist you know body of, of elected officials, it, first of all, it, you know it includes a lot of district attorneys, right and former district attorneys. Yeah. It also includes a lot of um, um, electoral accountability to police unions. So one thing we, did, I mean, we just do a basic power mapping of electoral politics. Come on. These police unions, man, like the police unions are now. no fucking joke. This is some—it's some mafia shit almost. Anywhere, yeah. I mean, you're in—you're yeah. you're, in—you're in, you're in Pennsylvania, you're Philadelphia. Like this yes, is why M- this is why Mumia yeah. Abu Jamal still locked right up right now. Yep, yep. That's yep. the only reason Mumia Abu only Jamal reason. is still locked up is because of the FOP and the police unions. That's it, yep. right? So, so I mean, I, I don't make a living doing political prognosticating at all, right? So, but what I will say is this: even even if 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 the George Floyd bill were to pass. In a way, I would be act. I would actually be more scared. Yes, I would expound actually on that. Scared. Well, number one, because like I said, there there is zero empirical evidence to give us any um, serious, research, rigorous confidence that the measures that are outlined in the Floyd bill, the so-called George Floyd bill, will curb the, the asymmetrical casualties of police warfare. Right? There's there's no evidence of that. Okay, that's number one. Mm-hmm. Right. Number two is is I'm concerned about the giant um victorious exhale. That will happen among so many people who are otherwise poised to accelerate um, and enrich, you know, black radical, abolitionist, revolutionary, etc. forms of political and cultural work. Right. Um, um, it is the celebration of these of these um, kind of fraudulent victories that in a way scares me more than scares me more than than, than when those things get get repressed or when they get defeated. Um, oh, Senate. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, the, the bill—the bill was, in a way, not even about compromise,
4: but about pacifying us. I think. I think that's probably a generous interpretation, right? <laughs> I would say that's a generous interpretation. I, I, I think. I think there's. I think there's a way. I think there's a way that that the content of the bill actually it does two things. On the one hand, it stokes. Uh, we've got to stop calling it the far right, by the way. You know what I mean? How people, how people have been using that Come term, far right. Yeah. far right? They're not far right. <laughs> they're not. They're not far. <laughs> they're not, they're not far. <laughs> the right in Laurel. <laughs> they're right. They're with you. They're around you. And some of them actually kind of look like some of us.
3: Uh oh. Okay, so
4: let's not call it the far right as if it's somewhere else, way over there, right? Like we should, we should know about this by now. We should have learned that lesson by now. But like, but but part of what this bill does, it stokes them. This whole thing about about um trying to reform the whole police qualified immunity kind of thing, yeah. all the cops and all these folks, including including so called Democrats, all these people, yeah, right. all, all they gotta trot out is the notion that now, hey, now cops are gonna be afraid to do their job. Now it's gonna be harder to recruit more cops. That is the language of domestic warfare, by the way. Yep. What they're what people are actually saying, in no uncertain terms, is that it is going to be harder to wage domestic war against those criminalized communities over there. If you if you pass this this whole reform of qualified immunity.
3: And that actually leads into your book, White Reconstruction. Because I think that one sort of, and I might be simplifying it too much. You probably the, are. Fuck <laughs> you. <yeah>. The premise <laughs> okay. of the, the, the book essentially is how based off of everything that we see taking taking place in so-called progress was actually leading for more of a white supremacist expression. So we would see white reconstruction. So while I may fuck it up, I would rather you unpack it because it seems like what you were leading to and explaining just now was very much what you have stated in your book.
4: Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm saying anything that original in my in, in the book. I think maybe I've tried to synthesize some things um, for sort of the first time, but but the ideas I'm drawing from are. are Pretty widespread. They're they're part of a kind of archive of radical thought, and and right, I would say, I would say you know, sure. and I'd say there's there's two people I'd want to highlight. One is um, he was my teacher for a minute when I was um, in graduate school in, in at, at, at Cal Berkeley. Um, but uh, Robert Allen wrote this. Classic, I Yo, listen, I'm book, reading it right now. Classic book, Black Awakening in Capitalist America. Yeah. I keep coming back to that Mind book. Blind. Okay, so. So Robert Allen mapped this thing out because he's writing as as, you know, a black scholar, a black journalist who's accountable to a movement in the 1970s. And and I'm really kind of following his lead in a major part of this book that I just did. Right. Because Mm -hmm. what I'm what I'm what I'm obsessed with is this is this period that has followed um, the nominal and official end of U.S. apartheid. The, the series of juridical and other kinds of, you know in you know corporate and, and cultural other kinds of reform that are premised on this narrative of progress of national racial liberal progress and so forth and so on and and and, and so what i follow with robert allen is the planning that goes on among the architects of uh, of the nation state and of this kind of convergence this general symbiosis uh between you know, kind of a white philanthropic owning class, corporate owning class, et cetera, um, and, and a white supremacist anti-black colonial state, which, which will never not be that, right? It will never not be that. And so, and so following Robert Allen, what you see is that part of the plan was like, okay, so our shit is too brittle. We can't keep it classically white supremacist forever. Because all that does is provoke a lot of rebellion mm-hmm. um, and, and and all this kind of. so so we might need to be a little bit more a little bit more plastic, right? rather than rather than glass, right? So so there's a kind of flexing that happens, and that's when you see the sophisticated, layered forms of repression that come on board. First of all, clearly, is the militarized state repression of the movements. okay? So you still have people who are un, un, unrecognized political prisoners, the um, Puerto Rican independentistas. You know we could go all the way on down the line. So you have that for sure. That's the kind of mo- the most spectacular and violent and direct forms of political repression. Mm. All, the, all the while there there is an ongoing to this very day, right? Ongoing planning, a coordination between uh, people who are essentially running philanthropy, philanthropic organizations, think tank organizations, um, the police, the state, and all that. And they're all tied into a network with each other, right? That's what 501c3 nonprofit status means.
2: And that's, but that's one of the questions that I actually wanted to ask you. What do you think came first? It's one of those chicken and the egg questions, right? Do you think that it was the need for tougher communal policing, or do you think that it was the need to profit from tougher communal policing that spawned this whole... Uh, this whole movement, for
4: lack of a better description, well, I, I would say, I would say, profit, profit. When when we're talking about the waging of domestic war, include including the soft forms of warfare and repression that I'm trying to talk about here, as you know, in, in addition to policing, um, the hard the hard repression of policing. I don't think profit is necessarily the imperative. Mm. Right. This is this is not to say that. You know, racial capitalism is not always the shit that is running our lives and fucking with us all the time. Right? So I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that the regime of domestic warfare does not necessarily need to be profitable. Right. Hmm. And, and, and we see this over and over again. The, you know, elected officials, think tanks, foundations, they're willing to in, to invest um, lots and lots and lots of money. Millions of dollars, billions, my friend, billions and billions of dollars, all the time, to figure out how to engage in basically counterinsurgency. So, so that's what we're really talking. So, so, what Robert Allen starts off with in in, in Black Awakening in the book Black Awakening: Capitalist America, is is a mapping of these early stages of what becomes a kind of protracted counterinsurgency that we are inhabiting to this day, right? So, there's that. There's that. The other, the other scholar who. I'm indebted to, um, and who's all over this book is um, the great Black Caribbean feminist, you know, um, artist, theorist, you know, cri- critic of, of white humanism, Sylvia Winter, Winter with a Y. Y'all, oh. check her shit out. Like, find, do it, read her interviews first because her shit is so layered and so sophisticated. Like, it's like learning a second language, but it's worth it. Hmm. It is worth it, and all her shit is on PDF online. Google that everywhere. Shit. Yeah, right. It's worth like just reading her stuff is worth doing a study group around. Right. Um. But but what but part of what I'm 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 taking from Sylvia Winter's work is, is how one of the most um I think nasty and ingenious forms of um planning that 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 this thing called civilization did civilization with a capital C, right? Civilization is the thing that created the transatlantic trade, mm-hmm. you know, colonialism, manifest destiny, all that shit. That that civilization, the, the, the half millennium that we're still in. That part of part of what that did, in significant way through academia, in significant way through art, right, mm, aesthetics, mm. music, the, the 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 written word, images, and so forth. Part of what it did was install the Western white human being as the primary compulsory paradigm for all human being, right? So that became mm. that became the kind of standard through yeah. which human being as a practice. Now, if you think about human it's being difficult. as a verb. Let's think about human being as a verb, not as a noun, oh, yeah. that, that, that the work, the practice of human being fits within this particular paradigm right here. Right. That's that's what winter winter talks about man with a capital M. Mm. Right. So in my book, I call it white being. Mm. And the reason I call it white being is because, you know, in addition to what we're talking about with with the counterinsurgency that Robert Allen and other people, but Robert Allen principally have, have, have wrote about during that time is we also see a kind of expansiveness to the structure of white being that invites non-white people, all right now, invites non-white people in a selective, um, piecemeal way to participate in that particular practice of human being, right? And it it wasn't always like that. It wasn't always like that, not at this scale. And and, and y'all probably, if, if you looked at it, you saw the first, I think it's the first chapter, one of the best examples that I will always draw from for the rest of my life is what the LAPD has been doing since the federal consent Listen, decree came down please, after
3: the ramp Share candle. with the it's folks who have Please, if any,
4: any, any of y'all listening to this, watching this, whatever, look up, look up uh joinlapd.com. Join For almost 20 years now, the LAPD has been intensively engaged in one of the most aggressive, you know, we used to call it affirmative action back in the day, right? Yeah, right. One of the most yeah. aggressive diversity hiring initiatives um in, in the United States and and um Probably in the overdeveloped world, right? And you can see the cultural symbols, right? The images that the, the images that they put up there that they want brown and black women involved with blue uniforms and badges and guns on their side. They Same want... thing within in New York City as well. They've been okay. pushing that hard. yeah. And we see this. So, so this is what I'm talking about. When we talk about white being. We're not just talking about the accoutrements. We're not just talking yeah. about, you know, uh, the Lexus and the 3,000 square foot. We're not just talking about that. What we're actually talking about is the the. Operative institutions, the, the 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 pieces within this thing we call the system, right? There's a solicitation, an invitation, in a in a in a kind of a selective piecemeal way, for a lot of people who used to be crowded out by apartheid, colonialism, exclusion, sexism, misogyny, transphobia, etc., to to actually be engaged with it, and not just not just when I say piecemeal, they're not just the valets and the cooks, right? Like a lot a lot of these folks, meaning you know, our folks using the big sense of our folks, right. Are invited like, to actually participate in the leadership. That's what the fuck I was supposed to be.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: You know what I mean? Like that was my whole that was my whole telos, right? Supposedly. That's that's what I was supposed to do. And I'm hoping oh, that's the guts with that man. Yeah, i that's not what I've done. I don't think Listen. it is. <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's not. <laughs>
3: uh, okay. Um well I'll, I'll bro you know listen i'm sitting nah, here man. i
2: mean i'm, I'm
3: <laughs> okay
2: my question for you is given everything that you've given everything that you've mentioned why do you believe that the complete tear down of the system is what's necessary i want him to i want him to verbalize it because this if, if be many people cry. if many people can't tell already you're part of that abolitionist movement so i mean if why is the complete tear down the necessity for building a better, uh, or much more just and verdant, uh, system?
4: Look, I'm trying to be a good guest, I feel like I'm fucking talking too much. No, no man, you're good. That's why we no, brought no, you here. No, please, please,
3: please, we, brother, we brought please. you here
4: to hey, talk, sir. But, but no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm being a little facetious <laughs> because I love talking, but I can give you, I can <laughs> give you, I can give you, I, can give you like, I can give you, like, a one or two line answer to your question. Actually, don't do like, it, don't do okay, it. And here's why. Here's why All right, if, sorry. If, we, if we take, okay two things one is we really don't have a choice right the teardown right the transformation whatever you want to call it, the revolution whatever whatever term you want to attach to it terms matter right but whatever term you want to attach to it and we can talk about what the differences between these terms teardown abolition revolution transformation we can we can we can have a whole seminar on that right and i, I welcome that i think that's beautiful it would be beautiful to do that then we're, then we're having a whole different conversation but 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 the reason those things need to be front and center all the time collectively is because we really don't have a choice. What 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 the current kind of national and global system reveals all the time is that it is fundamentally unsustainable. Right? The way in which it is capable of reproducing itself, not sustaining, but reproducing itself Ooh. has only been through asymmetrical warfare, domestic, global and otherwise. All right? So that's that's number 1. As far as as far as why, why abolition, right? The other thing about about, about abolition, the second thing I want to say is if if I take if I take my own analysis seriously, or it's not my analysis, but if I take the analysis that I am um am, 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 am a student of and a teacher of sure, seriously, sure. which is that all all of these logics of state formation, of racial capitalism, of policing, of incarceration, all this stuff, if all of it is guided in some way by a logic of genocide. Right, Me- meaning that it that that these things identify particular bodies, people, populations, neighborhoods, geographies, um, for for social neutralization or liquidation. Right, not necessarily mass slaughter, because mm. that's not necessarily mm. how gen- you can just go read the common United yeah, Nations. Yeah, 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 yeah. But we're talking about like like people that are neutralized and uh, you know um, um, humiliated, y- you know, eviscerated on, on a targeted large scale. If we take that analysis seriously then you know the only thing you do with genocide is abolish it. You don't try to reform it, right? You don't try to tweak it. The only thing you can do with something that is guided by a logic of genocide is abolish it. So mm. what that means then, now, now don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that we don't have to be engaged in everyday short-term tactical struggle sure. to try to keep ourselves and people around, people we love, people we are accountable to alive, Right. So we just have to have an abolitionist analysis of the kinds of reforms we're supporting because they have to they have to be the kinds of reform that are that are serv- that are in the service of, of genocide casualty management rather than in the service of actually expanding uh, the, the operative systems that are driven by the logic of genocide. And that's but why Dylan, we-
2: Dylan, we, yeah. we need the police. Without the police, then we're not. We're just going to be anarchy, and people are going to be running amok, and there'll be lawlessness in the streets. Like we need the police. How dare you say that we need yeah. to tear down the system? Come on, give it to me. Right, well, the law. The law Yeah, we have redefine it, there. right?
4: Let's be really clear. The lawlessness is already there, right? The law. The lawlessness is already there. It is everywhere, and I don't just mean police violence. I. I I'm talking about the way in which. This, these places we call the streets are organized the way in which they are selectively developed and underdeveloped, the way in which they are serviced and abandoned by the state Max, induce, Max. induce what Native American German. people call auto genocide. It induces what Native American people call
3: auto genocide.
4: Is where is where identified populations that that are targeted by domestic war engage in patterns of behavior, Ooh. right? Routines, right? Routines in which they are destroying each other. Um, shit! This is not new. No nope. This is the oldest colonization. This is this is how transatlantic chattel slaves or slavery started. Yeah, again, it's yeah. the same fucking logic, right?
3: Listen, man, I I was reading uh, the revolution will not be funded yeah. the other night. Uh, I have P- the PDF copy, and I'm reading your section, and then it goes to Ruth's section, yeah, Sister Gilmore, and yeah. I'm getting punched in the mouth from both sections because (laughs) literally because I live in a community where nonprofits are the dominant source of any sort of social care and it's killing my community and no one can fucking understand Dylan my outrage when these nonprofits come through and I'm struggling with articulating because of course I have a radical revolutionary mindset where I understand that these people are pillaging, and, but I can't articulate it. Give me your thoughts on that, please. So
4: so, so here's here's what I would advise, because I've been struggling with this for almost my entire adult life, me me, me the nonprofit structure. Yes. Uh, all right, so like, shoot, I work at a university. I work at the University of California. There's probably very few institutions that are more responsible for asymmetrical killing than the University of California. It is a fucking warfare machine. Um, lots of dastardly shit has, has emerged from my employer. you try trying Ooh. not to
2: work anymore. Dylan. Is that what yeah. you're doing? Hey, you know what? You know are <laughs> looking yourself up, don't come back and put my, up my up employer. Up, you know what I'm saying? No, but this is a funny
4: thing. no, no, no. Look, here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing. This is, this is, this is what I tell other people that are in, especially young people that are earlier in their career in this job, the best, I feel fucking invincible. Right. It's be- and it's because I'm tied, I'm tied to so many people in communities, both within universities and way beyond universities, that will make so much hell if they come after me because of the shit that I say about them. That I actually feel deeply protected. I felt the same mm. way when uh, I felt the same when I was supporting uh, uh, the Palestinian position, the Palestinian Arab American Studies. We gonna Latin. talk about that, that. That was crazy. I kind of got <laughs> these crazy death threats and death talking threats, about how they, t- they t- should they shooting t- squad and they should blow me away and I like you know they did all that but but you know so a bunch of my colleagues actually my not not coincidentally my black colleagues got me to got together with me and said hey are you all right I was like yeah I fucking feel invincible. Because they're going to have to go through like 3,000 people before they even get to me. Facts. You, you know what I mean? So, so, like, so there's that. Anyway, <laughs> my, my point is this about, about the nonprofit thing. Please. Um, the problem is not so much that they exist, just like the problem is not so much that the university exists. The problem is that people don't recognize them as arenas of struggle. Okay, they are taken. They are oftentimes just taken for granted, and that's that's the argument that I tried to make in that old article I wrote a long time ago for that book you just read, um, read it, which is that the thing that slips by, and this is what Robert Allen was writing about, yep. is is that these nonprofits they're they're not just service providers; they're actually forming political ideology. Yeah, right. They're they're building a political a set of political assumptions that then circulate to grassroots movements. Yep. To, you know, to, to churches, synagogues, you know what I mean, mosques, you know, yeah. all kinds and later, of things. Ultimately becoming policy in some instances too. It's abs- yeah. That's,
3: that's, well, exactly that's the ultimate goal. goal. Yeah. Right? yeah.
4: Right, yeah. Right, right. Probably, probably the, the biggest pain in the ass that whose name um a lot of our folks probably don't identify but should is is, is the paradigm that was constructed by Saul Alinsky. Yes. Right. Saul Alinsky. So, so Saul Alinsky, a lot of his model, which was this, um, he wrote this famous book called Rules for Radicals, which is a fucking oxymoron.
3: Radical, bro. It's
4: fucking oxymoron. <laughs> it's, it's, so, it's, anyway, go, whole, go ahead, the whole, Dylan. Go the ahead. Con- the, whole concept, the whole concept that he was building, the whole paradigm he was building was, was, in my interpretation, many people's interpretation, it was a direct political disciplining of the revolutionary tendencies yep. of the liberation struggle. Right. It was a kind of white progressive, white left. You know, white progressive left re- response or re- even a reaction to the the radical revolutionary and and frankly destructive systemic de- systemically destructive, and I mean destructive in the beautiful way, the good way, the good right? Way. That bad shit is going to be destroyed. White supremacy, gonna, you know, anti black is going to be destroyed. Um, it's a lot of a lot of his paradigm was a response that in the nonprofit industrial complex goes with it at best, right? In the sense that there's always a demand and impulse for winnable victories. There's always a need to declare some kind of victory. And here's the thing, man, you, you look at you look at you look at the archive of revolutionary black 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 liberation struggle, abolition struggle, anti-colonial struggle all over the world. They give a fuck about winnable victories? Nope. There was a sense of humility, there is a I should say was, is. People who yeah. are in this kind of work now you know, feel the same thing. There is a sense of humility that that the thing we're going to call victory might be on the other side of mine in your lifetime, but it also might not be. Yep. But it also mm. might not be right. And so, part of the humility is not just knowing that uh, that the time to declare victory might not be about you, right? Yep. So get over, yeah. get over the collective narcissism, the generational yeah. narcissism. Get There's over a bigger that. picture. Get over that shit. But you part of the humility is also being prepared to understand your collective limitations if the moment actually arrives when that kind of transformation overturning revolution abolition is possible. All right. And, and, and I think we it's it's completely the case that, that we're in a moment like that right now. Right now. We're in we're in a moment where there's abolitionist revolutionary transformative possibility right now. Right now. Right and that's right. why there's this scramble over bullshit. Right. That's why. That's why. That's why you have um, the Van Joneses of the world doing their thing. That's why you have. That's why you have the separation within. Um, um, Black Africa. Lives Matter. Yep. Right. You have. You have the declaration of autonomy from all these organs, You know, from all the local yep. organizations. All Black, the chapters. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. We're going to leave behind. Um, you know, the global foundation thing, and we're going to go do our thing. It just. It just happened right here where I live in the Inland Empire, mm. Southern Maybe California. The
3: same thing here in Philly.
4: Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah so I, yeah I don't know if that was mm. making sense but that
2: that made perfect sense. You made perfect sense. So yeah, some man. people might hear what you're saying and I want you to clarify cuz I don't interpret it that way but some people might hear what you're saying and look at it as being pessimistic. Mm. You know, King has that famous quote that the moral arc of uh right. the history bends towards justice. I don't know necessarily <laughs> if that's always a, but it, 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 <laughs> some might hear what you're saying <laughs> and take it as some a do you, do you accurate? Do you take that as accurate? It's are long, are you being a pessimist, Dylan?
4: Um, I don't think so. I, I, I think I think I am. I am when I. No, I think I'm being very skeptical and suspicious. <laughs> I would say that. <laughs> I would say that. Um, I don't know that I would call my. I have my pessimistic moments because I'm a fucking human being. So, like, let me say that. Right. Like, don't need to be out there with that. I think that's okay. Hey, just this is this is no different than what I think. I think I was I think I was talking about this on on the Beyond Prisons podcast that you listened to a while back, or maybe it was somewhere else. But I was talking about the revenge impulse, right? Yes. A, a lot of people, a lot of a lot of families, especially, right? Who 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 have you know who have their loved ones killed by the police, right? That that the move the justice movements that form around those folks are driven by a need for fucking revenge, right? And and there's this interesting tension.
3: Oh think, man.
4: Within, um, you know, left, progressive, abolitionist, yep. radical communities, about how to, w- whether or not to fuck with that revenge impulse, right? Hmm. I, yeah, think, yeah, I yeah. think we. I, I think, think you
3: should. I do think, think we should. Obligation. I think you yeah. have to have this discussion have at to. least.
4: And, and yeah. I, think, I think, and I think, the thing is that that there's a humility in that because yeah. because the revenge impulse doesn't fall into whatever formulaic thing people want to put out there about abolition, right? Because the whole point of abolition is that you want to get you want to stop punishment. Right? You want to stop, you know, you, you want to end a, a so-called justice system that's actually driven by the state's punitive um, revenge implementations, right? So you want to actually stop that. But at the same time, this is another kind This is a kind of, you know, this is, a, this is another kind of revenge. This is revenge that's actually grounded, I would say, um, more fundamentally in accountability, a rage over, over, over the lack of accountability. And what now the word that people are using more and more in relation to the so-called George Floyd bill is police impunity. Right, oh, it's God. a response to police impunity. That's that's mm-hmm. what that's what it really is. I don't even know that revenge is really the right thing. I think so. People funnel into, and that's why they say prosecute the cops. Yeah,
3: right? yeah, 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 yeah.
4: And my thing is like, is like to be in dialogue with that is to say, like, let me honor what you are feeling when you say, Which is jail is kill the cops, right? But it's, it's a big debate. It's like, the, but let's also be honest with ourselves that if there was some kind of prosecutorial miracle and the DA pursued charges and they fucking convicted. That person or those those cops, those individual cops, oh, it man. actually doesn't fix any of the problems that it led it 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 to this loved one's death.
3: It's a battle. Right. It's it a battle. It's a battle.
2: Do you think that? Do you think that with these uh, grassroots movements that surround these incidences of, of police killings and so on, that there's a way to effectively honor these people, effectively push the message forward? And not allow the outer structure to co-opt the message because it seems like that happens far too often.
4: Yeah, yeah, it it, it it happens if we if we take the work of collective, perpetual, rigorous, studied analysis seriously. And the problem is, in many places, um, organizers and organizations, organizations simply do not. Do not right that, that, that there that there's. Um, a desire for a platform, yeah. right? Um, I mean, that's 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 part of what this. Um, what was it called? I, I always think about eight to abolition, right? The, the hashtag eight to abolition, right.
3: yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, yeah, which is
4: response to the other one, To the other yeah. one,
3: to the trash one.
4: Sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so like, but yeah. that's so. So part of but if but if you read them alongside, they're actually not even analogous to each other because eight to abolition no. is so deeply radical and aspirational. That it doesn't even fit. it's not even congruent with, yeah. with that other one, right? Which the one that will not be named. Thank the eight-point eight platform that will not be named. Yeah. Um, so so I think when I say analysis, what I'm talking about is the kind of scrutiny that you're t- that, that, that you are um describing, which is constant, right? The co-op the, the gestures of co-optation are constant. Um, yeah. I was just I was just thinking about this recently in the context of, of, of my university, meaning the University of California statewide, not just UC Riverside, but all the University of California's where the administrative response to this whole last 12 months of struggle, as well as the last decade of resistance to police violence on campuses, has been for administration to implement task forces. Yeah, tuck their head in the sand and then do all that, mean, that other stuff. Look, in part of the task force, mm. if, they, if they're smart, what they do is they try to reach out to Black Student Union. Come on. Right? They try to reach out to people who might be the ones who call themselves abolitionists. They try to reach out to um, student affairs. They reach out to the cops. Right, they reach out to the chief of police on campus, they, and they get them all in the room. Right, and then and then what does the, the here's the problem? The struggle then becomes, oh, what should the content be of the recommendations we produce as a task? Mm-hmm. Group, right, that becomes, that becomes that becomes the ground of debate. And here's the point: it doesn't matter because 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 the 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 purpose of these task forces and you can ana- you can draw the draw the comparison out to other kinds of review boards task forces everywhere not just at universities but in cities and neighbors. the point of those task forces in almost every instance unless they are completely autonomous from the administration in the state which they almost never are mm. the point of those task forces is to simply exist as task forces it's a ritualized ceremony that's what it is they do what they do they can issue whatever horrible lukewarm badass recommendations they want we all know they're not binding, right? We all know that they they are never implemented, um, especially the the radical recommendations. They're never fucking implemented. I'm there's convinced. always reason they don't get implemented. Yeah. But that's not even the point. That's like, the point is that there's a performance of 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 administrative self reflection that then wins back in the, at least in their minds it wins back the credibility and legitimacy of the police presence, mm. right.
2: which
4: which which is which is why I'm involved with this um, statewide and now national cops off campus campaign. Um, uh, because we're tra- we're trying to start by just abolishing police presence at campuses. There's no reason for
2: it. Fascinating. That's fascinating. There's
4: no reason for it. <laughs> I'm not a pessimist. I'm not a no, pessimist. no, no, I, no, no, I, no, I, I, I,
3: I, I listen. It. I love that because that will be my response to Sean every fucking time he calls me a you, pessimist. You are a pessimist. Like,
2: don't let don't, no, don't let look, don't I don't am Dylan's just I, not listen, wash I, on I, you, me. my guy. No, look, look,
4: look, if you're a pessimist, it means you're not you're not involved in in community. You're not building struggle alongside people. I'm sorry. I'm, I know I'm some people who nope. identify as Afro pessimists are going to be mad at me about that. So that's okay. No, my own interpretation.
0: Of return, right. like right. There's,
4: there's a certain way that the notion, if 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 pessimism is really deeply what you are, it's real. I should say I should be more fair. It's very difficult to believe in the kind of creativity and the beauty of that kind of collective work, right? Because that shit is profoundly, radically hopeful, and not in the Obama hope kind of way, right? I'm talking about the radical, revolutionary, abolitionist hope kind of way. Um, that that's what I mean. That's the kind of hope, the kind of hope that gets you, that gets you moving with people and thinking and doing things that you couldn't do by yourself. So in that way, fundamentally, I'm nowhere. I'm nowhere close to being a pessimist. That way, okay.
3: I love having guests that say shit that I don't have to fucking say. I can just sit back and be quiet. That way, that way, he, all the bets. hate mail
4: doesn't
2: come in your into your inbox. <laughs> I love so, it. how do you exist within academia then? Because for so long we've been seeing this this um, this fluffy talk. In academia, about how you know anti-blackness exists and how this exists in the revolution and all this other stuff. But so for for a long time, we've been seeing these institutions <laughs> continue to perpetuate this foolishness. How do you exist? How do you exist on the same plane with those things? Because it wasn't until this whole George Floyd thing that I saw a lot of universities vocally come out against police abuse,
4: yeah, uh, and just just all, all of that, just uh-huh.
0: Anti-ra- anti-racist policies.
4: You're right. So, Oh my god! In like statements of condemnation over anti-black, yeah. right? <laughs> All of a sudden, the,
2: the school's uh, Instagram page is black for
4: whatever. I'm like, yeah. oh my god! Like, 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 how do you exist within Monty that? Scene, you know what I mean, yeah. No, I, I. You well. Well, I'll say. I'll say two things. One is that um, the thing we call the academy or academia, it's not actually a real thing. It's 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 an abstraction. It's it's like it's it's really a colonial white supremacist abstraction. It's not a place, you know what I'm saying? Academia is not a place, right? Right, right, it's an not asp- aspiration. It's an aspiration, hmm. and that's and that's what's so fucked up and toxifying and colonial about it, is is that uh, people who are who have day jobs in places that get named as academic places get toxified by the aspiration. Hmm. Right? By the aspiration say
2: that one more time, my guy. Say that one more time.
4: Academia is not a place. It is not a building. It is not really a geography. It isn't. It is a white supremacist, colonial, and fundamentally anti-black aspiration from its roots. Right. You can trace where that term has come from and how it's become institutionalized. That is. That is fundamentally what it is. It is aspirational. Right. So mm-hmm. the dream is to become a part of this academy to be recognized by this thing called the academy. Mm-hmm you know, have a capital A academic in front of your name. So yeah, right. that's, that's what I respect when people use the term academic as a pejorative. Is like, that
2: why you don't like to be called Professor Rodriguez?
4: I don't know. That's, 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 that's that well, look, look. Partly, it might be, it might be an age thing because I think we're probably in the general vicinity of me. Nah, he's
3: older than you, Dylan. Don't
4: worry about it. <laughs> oh, I'm so older than you, bro. Don't do that yeah, shit. Yeah, he's from the, the grades. School. When he's I see you, it no, 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 really has nothing to do with age. No, I, look, <laughs> look. I like, like, I let, I let, I let. Um, as I've gotten, it has to do with my age, right? As I've gotten older, I let undergraduate students. They call me Professor Dylan. Okay. Right? So, okay. like, I, I can take that. I can accept that, right? But I, you know, I tell them to call me by my first name. If they want to call me Professor Dylan, that's okay, because there's a kind of like intimacy to it, and a kind. Of... So anyway, I, I just, I just don't really um subscribe. Like, I, like I am most flattered when people tell me after they've known me for a couple months that they had no idea what I did for a living, right? You know, because that that's that's really flattering to me. It's like, ah, oh, you don't look like a professor. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, it like, it's, like, it's not just that like I don't look like one, it's, it's, it's I kind of don't act like one in most cases uh, know, like one in, 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 in common, everyday interaction and whatnot. Um, so, so, so that's what I would say about this thing called the academics. Now, now, I do have a day job, right? And so I think part of what has allowed me and others to survive is is to treat it that way, that the university, the college, right, that these are day jobs, it, which means a couple things. One is that um, in order to sustain your position in your employment, if, if you're interested in that, right, um, you have to try to build community and power with other people who are in a similar or, 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 or close by situation with you, either in that institution or elsewhere, right? So it's, it's another way of saying that universities and colleges, they are no less arenas of collective struggle of collective resistance community building and for that matter collective insurgency and revolt than any other institution than any other institution and the moment that 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 people think collective insurgency that's 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 some
2: strong terminology
4: my guy but look but no but look look at the history look at the history of revolutionary movements right there's a good number of 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 colleges universities where, where that shit, it, it may or may not have started at colleges and universities, but oh, there's so many the instances up. in mm-hmm. which what happened when students, faculty, and others from outside mm-hmm. the university seized that site as a place of struggle to, you. Forward, to push forward, forward. Yeah, and here's why, here's why, there's a reason for it. It's because the, these are places that are, um, they, they are centers of ideological, political, and, epi- and epistemological power, domination, I say, of domination. Right, so so there's a sensitivity Hmm. around these places that escapes most folks. They think it's just a bunch of folks that are locked up in their offices. Right, it's like they're doing that too. But there is hardcore research and pedagogy and ideological training Mm. that happens at these sites that Mm. is inseparable from the hardcore militarized violence that we protest all the time. Right, right, right. Hey, look, whether 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 it's the the you know Dakota Access Pipeline, you know whether it's it's you know, the oil companies off the coast of West Africa, all these places are inseparable from the research, the pedagogy, the ideological work that happens at universities, which also then means that there's an obligation for those of us that have day jobs in these places to constantly revolt against it in whatever way it's possible, in whatever way we can do it collectively. So so that's that's the mode of survival, is that is that you have to do the opposite of what kind of people that are really invested in the professionalization um kind of routines will tell you, which is to keep your head down. You know what I mean? To like yeah, not get yeah. involved in collective actors work. To yeah. let me tell you, that shit does not protect you. It can. Right. Right. In fact, in fact, if they in fact administrations and and in, in the right wing, they know who to pick off now, right? They will find the people who are trying to keep their heads down because they presume that they're not connected to communities of people that have their back and they will try to pick them off or they'll try to actually turn them. Right, and so this shit happens all the time. The other thing is that is that the the way in which you exist at a day job like this it it it's not like you can escape it as being part of who and what you actually are yeah. right and, and, what I, and what i mean what I mean by that is yeah. all the colleagues who I came into this profession with around the same time who who swore that they were going to become more outspoken, more principled, more collective, and more activist after they got tenure, right? Not one did. Not one did, because wow. it just becomes who you are. And then you wow. kind of don't know how to, you don't Very know how to be. It's hard. It's wow. hard to be. You know? yeah, yeah. So anyway, anyway. It's just, it's oh, just really yeah. people, right? it goes
3: back to what you were mentioning when we were talking about the-profit industrial complex these yeah. folks who have radical ideologies hook up with these nonprofits, thinking that they're going to actually change their communities and end up getting sucked in the pain is of kind system. of decent yeah. and you become part of the yes, system the bare minimum on taking care of symptoms and not addressing Damn. the root
4: so so here's
3: bare minimum yeah so
4: here's the the the, yeah, so, here, so here's the here's the point that I was trying to that, that, that I was starting to get at earlier just like I'm talking for these last five minutes about about universities, colleges, campuses, you know these institutions as sites of, of struggle, sites of collective revolt, mm-hmm. sites of you know radical and abolitionist insurgency. What i what I what I will say here's again here here's, here's why I'm not a pessimist. There are more and more <laughs> there are more and more people who I who I would literally trust with my life, who are turning the nonprofit industrial complex into a legitimate arena of struggle. Who are not taking the bullshit, who are not accepting these kind of liberal philanthropic paradigms as the horizon of political thought, as the horizon of political aspiration, who are actually engaged in these places uh, 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 as as sites of struggle. Mm. Right? So, so I think I think that's entirely. There's nothing about the nonprofit industrial complex that is automatic, right? No. It's just that I think it's I think it's been under analyzed and under engaged. But I think mm. I think there's more and more of the people that that I trust that are finding their way into these spaces and are accumulating. Uh, Kind of no. networks of community, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, yeah. grounding yeah. collective forms of struggle, and yeah. and um, so
0: what is possible?
4: Yeah, no, you you, think, yeah. you have it's definitely it, possible. You
0: have to yeah. believe yeah. that shit's
4: possible. It's, it's
0: Yeah, have, yeah, I, I want to believe it's possible.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's struggle. No, but 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 the but the point of it is that, and this is one thing that that I was, um, in some ways, lucky and other ways privileged to get away with. Um, we all got to have a fucking exit strategy. All of us. Right. Especially the friends of mine that are in the nonprofit industrial complex waging this kind of struggle, every single one of them has an exit strategy. You better. Right. Right? Because, yeah, there is no presumption that this place is going to keep me on board the more I engage in the struggle. But the funny thing about that exit strategy is that is that part of all this struggle, part of all this movement, part of all this building means that when people exit, they can go find their friend their homie over there Mm -hmm. who has a spot for them. And then See, you start yeah. to build these little centers of power yeah. and then some interesting shit kind of happens. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, All right, we've occupied a lot of your time tonight, man, but I want to make sure before we let you go, we try to get words of wisdom from people of your ilk, people that are in the struggle, people that are mind molders in the whole bit.
3: Ilk? Yep. <laughs> Yeah, man. Listen, man, you know how it gets when you got look, smart look, look, people on. I, Look,
2: I told you to try the dictionary
0: app, you didn't have to download it.
3: Yeah, you know he'd be on some phone. You, you didn't have to download it. that. You have to download it. not that he bought the app. He
4: he, he bought really
3: do rag he has on. when what I when I see you guys on, in these so
4: streets. So much love, it's so much love.
2: When I see you in these streets, but anyway, like I was saying, as someone who is a molder of minds. How do you continue with the struggle in and of itself and not get wrapped up in all of the foolishness? Because I I know it has to be difficult balancing what's burning inside you and then also being able to do your job, I guess, productively, for lack of a better description.
0: Uh, Is everyone trying to make a compromise every second of the day?
4: Shit. Almost everyone. yeah. I mean, almost everyone, I, no, I
3: mean, motherfuckers ain't. But, but, so but what
4: you, but part of it is dependent It depends what you mean by compromise, right? Because so the way I took what you mean is a sellout, right? So like, yeah, there's a there's a sellout. The tendency towards sellout happens all the yeah, time
0: on the middle ground with you.
4: Yeah, no, that's all fucked up. I mean, there's other <laughs> stuff. There's others. I mean, I mean, there's another way of thinking about the term <laughs> compromise. Where it's like it's involuntary, right? Like right. we're born in conditions not of our choosing. So there's shit that we are fucking surrendering and compromising all the time, like fucking dignity. You know what I mean, right. like fucking respect. So like,
0: that. so yeah. Mm. So, but
4: I'm taking what you're saying as as meaning the sellout. But, um, but but I'll say I'll say that part of it is is taking what my my dear teacher and mentor from undergraduate, um, my undergraduate years at Cornell University in Africana Studies, Dr. James Turner, one of the founders of Africana Studies, mm. brilliant. Yeah, and and when I was when I was leaving, when I was getting ready to leave Cornell, um, we sat in his office like we had many times before, and I asked him the same question, right? I asked him the same question because you know here was somebody who had built this up over many years, who had faced down anti-blackness, and and they burned Africana studies down. I think in its second or third year of existence, going down the line, and and I asked him the same question, right? And he gave me he gave me two layers of response. One, I understood quickly. The other one took me about 10 years to get my head around because I realized he was being literal. Wow. Right. The yeah. one I got my head around quickly was, he said, well, I surround myself with people who support me. Right. He said, I don't feel like I'm obligated to put myself in a room all the time with my fucking critics. Right? Which, which is an important statement for <laughs> motherfuckers that are raised in a model minority mentality like me.
3: Hey, look, look, model minority is not, sorry,
4: just, hey, model still sexy not just for those Asian people, it's also for the dirty brown Asian people like me, and it's <laughs> also for all those other non-white people. That model minority thing is all fucked up. So like, for him to say that Very was like, oh, fuck, that's liberating as hell. right? I don't have to do this whole weird model minority Catholic bullshit of being in the room with people who fucking hate my guts and are always going to challenge my shit. Right? I, so he's so, so basically like, being, be, be with, in community with people who care about you, mm. right? Like, love you, who support you. I was like, okay, that's deep. Okay, so the fact that he said it out loud was deep. Okay, that was the one thing. I got that. I sort of got that, and I still do. The second thing, and this is the one that is the direct response to your question about, about the words of wisdom thing. He said, he said, he had, he said, he told me, he said, I have all the faith in the world that you will not get picked off. Because, and and the reason for that is because, um, I have every faith that you will think of yourself as an intellectual guerrilla fighter. He said, an intellectual guerrilla fighter. And then he went on and elaborated that shit, right? And, um, you know, I was kind of in, 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 I don't know, in, uh, in all of what he was saying. Not because it was, it was, not because it was directed at me, but just because, the concept of it was was so that's uh, very powerful shit. Was so massive, yeah. Like I couldn't, I couldn't oh, comprehend. There's a it. lot of weight on that, my guy. I God. couldn't comprehend it. So it took me. Now I'll tell you though, it took me a probably about ten years. Yeah, probably about ten years to realize that Doctor Turner was making a literal statement. He was not kind mm. of metaphor or analogy to guerrilla warfare. That Doctor Turner was telling me, in in no uncertain terms, this is a condition of war right? Everybody that is engaged in liberation struggle or some form of it within this war must identify a role that they can fulfill, right? And and in every instance, it is it is some version, the language we can use around it for now is guerrilla war, right? Like we can talk mm. about what guerrilla war, war is, but it's usually waged by the side or the sides that are not armed with the tanks, with the helicopters, and with yes, the- Yes, indeed. Right? It's, it's, a side, it's a side that is militarily weaker but might be stronger of will, right? Might might outnumber the other side, um, and and might also be um, be stronger in sense of, in the sense of its collective sense, is it's collective accountability to each other, right? The thing that the thing that should take a lot always talks about love, right? How how the gorilla yeah, yeah, should yeah. right by love. So so what so so to say that is to say then that. If, if I'm taking my own my own analysis seriously that that the condition is domestic warfare that the ongoing half century of white what I'm calling white reconstruction is counterinsurgency then 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 the the, the freedom struggle the abolitionist struggle is a guerrilla struggle and 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 that means that a guerrilla struggle means that there are as many fronts in that struggle Ooh. as we can identify hmm. right? so so I feel like I have a particular, humble small role to play in that ongoing guerrilla war that Dr. Turner identified for me when I was 21 years old. Right. And that's why that's why I'm I'm in that's why I'm in this room with you. Right. This is this is part of the guerrilla war that we are waging. It is ideological struggle. It is an urging to the people that are with us or want to be with us to do the work and this is the piece of advice I'm going to give everybody to do the work of collective fucking study. In whatever form that takes, takes whatever yeah. form that takes, right? Like, I don't get, you know, I know y'all just did a show recently um, where you talked a little bit about, about uh, what's it called? Um, uh, the Black Judas movie. Yeah,
3: yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah.
4: Anyway, Judas I mean, and the
3: Black Messiah. I mean,
4: Black Messiah, sorry. Yeah, I watched that shit too, right? And, yeah, um, yeah. and and it made me angry and sad and all that shit, the way that it was kind of humanizing the snitch and on and on and on. Um, especially because the only, the only film that matters to me is that documentary film, The, the Murder of Fred Hampton. Right, that grassroots documentary. So, so you know, I'm saying, I'm saying, when I say collective study, fucking watch a film like that together and hash it out. Like y'all do it. This is my point. Y'all are actually doing it. That that's what that's what programs like this, you know, this kind of community that y'all are building. The people that write, li- listen to the live version now, and that are going to listen to the recorded version later. I'm talking. This is actually the kind of collective study I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about where you go in a room and all have read the same book, like an Oprah Winfrey book club. Although it can be that, to, yeah, it okay. can be that, but it doesn't have to be that. Right, and you probably are not going to pick the same books Oprah picks, right? Nope. You might, you might, and, I, and this is part of that same program. You talked about No Names Book Club. I would advocate you go look at No Names books. Go, yeah. look, go look, at No Names Book Club. Yeah. Read that. Oh, yeah. Read the stuff that she's putting out there. Oh, so yeah. I think she's the one point point. The thing that everybody can engage in some kind of way is the is this form of collective study because that's that's how we will collectively develop the kind of shared, uh, rigorous stubborn, principled, and radical analysis that will stop the onslaught of counterinsurgent bullshit, right, because, because that, is, that is as dangerous in many ways as the violent, repressive police repression um, that folks are trying to reform all the fucking time, right, so we gotta we got identify the different fronts of the counterinsurgency and take what Professor Turner was saying about guerrilla warfare seriously and engage with it in humble ways, but in collective ways and in proud ways, Shit, mm. Powerful yeah. shit, man.
2: Unapologetic ways,
3: no, please. Yeah.
2: Dylan Rodriguez, Uh, we have. When some...
4: you come I'll come back anytime you invite okay. me. Please, me. Please, 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 please.
2: We have <laughs> s- slowly but surely become the home for. <laughs> intellectuals, black intellectuals. And I, I'm going to put it that I mean, I mean, I don't want to say this too lofty, but at the same time, you're probably one of the baddest intellectuals we've had on the show. I yes, can't sir. say thank you enough, man. Um, only thing that I ask is the next time that you're in the area uh, that you bring some of that lumpia.
4: I'm going to hook that
2: up. <laughs> yes, I'm indeed. Up. Yes. Dylan Rodriguez, where can people find you if they'd like to find you, man? How can they get your book? How can they get a hold of you? All of that good stuff.
4: I'll- Hey, hit me up on email, Dylanrodriguez73 at gmail.com. That's my personal email. Don't be shy. Uh, you can find my book. Um, the Fordham, Fordham University Press website has my book. Uh, what on Twitter? I think my Twitter name is at Dylan Rodriguez, right? My yeah. Instagram is at Dylan 73 I'm on Facebook. I, you know, all that all that shit. But like, hit me up. Um, I'm I'm in, I want to be in community with as many people as possible. I've got resources to share with people. Uh, we're talking about PDFs. That's I got a shitload of PDFs yeah. to email people. I'm <laughs> you reaching know out I
3: mean. to you, uh, bro. Don't on even on worry on about it. On say on. Hey, say your you email know. one more time. Yeah.
4: If you, can't, if you can't afford to buy my book, hit me up. I pro- my, my publisher probably get mad at me, but they can't get too mad. I probably have a PDF that might have some <laughs> notes on it that I could just email to you. Um, anyway, what well, was so My email address is just my yeah. name, Dylan Rodriguez, with a 73 at the end. Yes, that's uh, the year I was born. <laughs> at Gmail, right? At, at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Uh, oh at gmail.com. God, no,
2: no. And what about your IG and all that other stuff, man? Because um, you know you're going to get all the hate in your DMs. Okay, I just want to let you know that.
4: That's okay. that's okay. That's okay. That shit feeds me. Bring it. Bring <laughs> it. Bring it. Bring it. No, right people to the spend video. that much time. People spend that much time, then I'm just honored with it. Honored <laughs> no, with it. Doubt, no doubt. No doubt. So what's your IG and all that, man? Uh uh Instagram is at Dylan Rodriguez73, Twitter is at Dylan Rodriguez, and then you can just look me up on Facebook. There's not that many Dylan Rodriguez's on Facebook. You'll find me. Thanks. I see you. I see you.
2: Once again, I want to say thank you for thank coming you. in, showing up. Yes, I can't and wait so dropping time, man. Drools, oh, man. you. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna make sure that you come back. It was awesome. Now, it was awesome. Now that I've honored the right person, I want to go ahead and take care of the rest of these guys. Crush, where can people find you if they (laughs) want to find you, man?
0: (laughs) Yeah, you can find me at the Orange Crush with a K or the SP Methods, a.k.a. Bridge, where I will be announcing a new uh, book project.
3: This motherfucker doing all types of work.
2: Damn. It's the Jamaican roots. Uh,
3: Uh, Be careful. Don't put a root on you. (laughs) Hey, you can find me everywhere, man. At Elgin Bailey, uh, you know,
2: come through. No doubt. No doubt. And I'm big. O, Mr. In the black himself. You can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at MR underscore in the black. And I want to thank you guys once again for joining us for another incredible episode of the in the black podcast. You could have been anywhere else in the world but you chose to kick it with us and we appreciate it help to support black media like this, where we're going to have these open and honest conversations and dialogue back and forth where we're going to give you the real, we're not going to sugarcoat it for you. So if you like stuff like that, make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at in the black PDCST cash app, go to the website, all that other stuff. And of course, until next time informed, intelligent in the black in the black peace. Peace. This is,
0: this is the In the Black podcast. In
1: the Black, bro. Heading down one of the this best is. podcasts I ever heard, though. I love like y'all, bro. <laughs> Breachers, what is. up? I better block up you, Breachers. Listen. Uh, in the black podcast and your lad, it's all facts. You don't like that the fall back in the black podcast, don't talk trash, switch fast. If you ain't raw, then you'll whack intelligent elements always relevant. Not for the weak and delicate. This is eloquent excellence. We are setting Precedence resting them my excrement, in the black podcast the truth like the testament Don't know no, black up Hebrew man a specialist So no what the podcast broadcast young mess with this Like said they might cheat who don't do it so effortless I listen them I learn when they listen they my Report, them my benefit Reporting through Everything that is prevalent. This is so exquisite the scientific experiment. Giving you the news, not fused without evidence. Telling you the truth, sentiments without embellishments. Relax, ease of the facts. Bringing them to your residence. In your house, in your tenement. Listen to here, intelligence. Body filled with melanin, power that's so ascendent. Bright in the stars. Bringing some life back to the desolate. Yeah. In the black podcast, that your land <laughs> is all facts. You don't like that. To f- Back. Back. In the Black Podcast, they punk In the Black Podcast, is all facts. You don't like that? fall back. In the Black Podcast, we outlast like, kind of the yeah. like that though. So it, yeah. this is. <laughs> what this
0: is